This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland. With me, as always, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s fourth cousin, Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? Um, I'm great, man. How are you? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. Um, All right. Also, coming in with a nine... Seven five forty yard dash burning on Glenn Lotzenheiser. How we doing, Glenn? I pulled my uh, hip flexor in the middle of that run. Um, I'm going to be okay. Well, the doctor said no more than three or four times can I have sex a night right now. Well, wow, okay. So I'm on restriction. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to put a couple people to the side, I guess. Plan B, Ryan. Plan B. Plan B. <laughs> All right, we have a, a great show for you tonight. We're going to do uh, the mailbag, as oh, always, in the news. It's all combine-focused, obviously, right now. Just ended the NFL combine uh, today, as the day that we're recording, Monday night. And then after that, we're bringing on a special guest. We're doing our next in-depth look at a college team. This week is going to be the Tennessee Volunteers and the, the players that they have coming out for the draft. So let's jump right into the mailbag, guys. Tyler Mustin sends in the first one. And he's asking about Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, after Lattimore's four three six forty, do you think if we don't trade back that you can pencil him in right now as that fifth pick? You know, it's not just the the forty time. He, he looked awesome at everything he did today. It'd be really hard not to take him at that point, given our needs and the fact that he looks like he's really going to be a shutdown corner. The, my only real drawback is. He's again hurt. Uh, he's, he's saying it's not his hammy. If it's your hip flexor, whatever it is, stop getting hurt all the time. It makes it really hard to draft you that high. Yeah, can't run fast when you're hurt. But uh, I think, honestly, the, the five pick is going to be more, obviously it's going to be more valuable to trade. But I think that's going to be the, the main piece. If we really do want to trade back, we're going to get so much more for that five than the 18. And I think that, if we were to do that and slide back four or five, maybe six picks, I still think we can get a real quality player. And he may not be that guy, but I still think there's so many other options. So if we stay at five, he may be that choice. But I would honestly rather trade that fifth back just a few picks and, and see what's there. Without a trade back, I, I think you write it in pen at this point right now. Um, unless he does anything stupid. He's just like Glenn said. A fantastic player. He's shown it in the, on the field in tape. He showed it today in his workouts. It looks fantastic. Um, not his workouts, in his 40 time. And that brings me to the next point is I wonder how much of it is, uh, you know, a hip flexor. We see guys all the time pull up and after they run a really good 40, especially if they were already uh, considered a high pick, they run that 40 and then they don't work out. We see it constantly. So I wonder how much of it is an actual injury or – 
him just playing the smart move here because after running that four three six, he has nothing left to show. He can't go out there. If he goes out there and has a fantastic, perfect day, always doing is reaffirming what everybody in NFL already thinks about this kid. If he goes out there and has a bad day, it hurts him. So he has nothing to gain by going out there and working out, you know, going through the motions, doing all the drills. So I think it might be more of a business decision than an actual injury. Yeah, and I had the same kind of thought with it. It's just, you know, when you've got an injury history, making that business decision still seems like a bad idea to me just because you're putting doubt in people's minds. You know, maybe they go and tell all these teams, look, he was just doing it because there was nothing else to prove. But I'd rather him just say, hey, look, I'm good. I'm going to stand on that. I'm walking away than faking an injury. Uh, just, I, I don't want any doubt at all in my mind that he is physically completely sound and ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and it's not like he has a long track record of experience. I mean, he's only been around for one year as a starter. So, I mean, everything we see is, is what we can go by. And, I mean, there's really not that much other than he's real impressive. But, yeah, if you can't stay healthy, then you're no good to anybody. Yeah, you guys bring up great points there. Now, moving on in the combine, Josh Ebel asks, now that the combine is over and John Ross ran the fastest 40 time ever and at the combine, does that increase our chances of taking someone like John Ross? I don't think so. I, I think obviously that's freaky fast, but um, he's still right where he was before he ran that time. We knew the kid was fast. I would still, I mean, call me a homer, I don't care. I'd still take Mike Williams over any of the other receivers. Uh, he's not going to be a blazing speed kind of guy, but I'm I'm well aware of that, and I'm still okay with what else he brings. Uh, John Ross will go in the first round for sure. I think he could go ahead of Corey Davis, but I still think Mike Williams goes first off the board. I'm not really sold on, on John Ross. Um, it's crazy comparisons to what he and Brandon Cooks compare to each other on the field, and if we're, if we're talking about that from that kind of standpoint, I'm kind of torn between saving money going the John Ross route or getting what we already know Brandon Cooks is with that high salary. It's a debate we're going to have later on, I'm sure, but I would steer away from John Ross at this point right now. I have two major problems with you know John Ross. is What I don't think, unless we take him at five, he'll be there at 18. So you, he's not a number five pick. Uh, so getting him in, instead of Cooks, I don't think that happens. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it can happen. And I don't trust him. Um, I, incredible how fast he ran with, you know, two ACL tears in the past. It's just he's not Tyreek Hill. He's not as, as physically strong as Tyreek Hill is. He, he's a much smaller guy, more like Brandon Cooks. And taking nothing away from that amazing speed, is he going to be a receiver who's going to get open for us often enough that we can use properly in our offense? Because we'd have to take him really early or try to trade back and find that sweet spot to get him in there. Uh, so his time doesn't make me take him because there is a Brandon Cooks option out there. He is easily the fastest guy in in the game right now. Um, but he, he doesn't blow me away. Corey Davis is a much better route runner, is also sufficiently fast for me. And Mike Williams can go up and get the ball against anybody, which Ross can't possibly do. Um, Mike Williams, I really want to see what he does on his pro day, You know how, how he runs, what kind of time he puts up there. 
I can't put Ross above either one of those top two guys, so he's still the number three guy to me. I 100% agree with what you guys said. And to add one thing to it, John Ross is fragile. We're looking at a guy that's had two ACL uh, problems within his career already. He's small. He's he's quick. He's very fast. There's no denying that, but he's frail. And he has a fra- fragile frame, and I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't want to draft another Deshaun Jackson. And if you look at this, and like everybody gets all in up in arms and like gets so excited when someone breaks these records. But look at the like top ten fastest guys to ever run at the combine. Take out Chris Johnson and and show me who you have left. You know, Chris Johnson is not the you know the rule. He is the exception that proves the rule, if you will. He and nobody else on that list has been above mediocre for their career. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a question of, you know, blazing speed, but how do you apply it? Uh, Tyreek Hill has shown that he can do a lot of different things really well, and, you know, we saw with Chris Johnson. If you're incredibly fast and the team can get you into space, it's a touchdown. And I'm not saying I don't want Ross. I want that kind of speed. I want that special player that we can put in there and just scare the shit out of the other team. I mean, wherever Ross goes – Everybody's going to have an eyeball on him because you just can't let that guy get loose. That doesn't mean that some you know 260 pound linebacker is not going to manage to line up on him and blow him into pieces. You know he he could play one game and just be crippled for the rest of his life. There's no telling how that's going to work out for him. But I just for where we would have to draft him, I don't think he's going to be there for us to pick. So it just his 40 time doesn't push him into a point where I take him that high. Yeah, I think the only way I'd be comfortable taking him in the first round is if we did trade back and got crazy value for the trade and then ended up taking him with the whatever, 10th, 11th pick. See, I wouldn't even, even with the 40 time, I'm not comfortable taking him that high. Uh, if he slipped to 18, then I would start to think about it, but it would still depend on who's there. You know, if O.J. Howard's still there, I'd rather have Howard. If I mean, there's a lot of guys that if they're still there, I'd rather have than John Ross. That if we were still at 18 and you know a lot of those guys were off the board, then yeah. If we traded back into the late first round and he somehow managed back there, then absolutely take him. But the speed alone is not enough for, in my eyes, to push him above 20, you know, 18, 17 around that area. Um, I know he'll probably go before then, uh, but in my eyes, it's it's not worth the value that's there. Yeah, yeah, someone's after what CJ did. Someone's always going to take a chance on incredible speed. You know, if if you don't have personality issues like Tyreek Hill, you're, you're going to get drafted. It's going to be fairly early, but you know, you know that kind of speed, I would still be scared to put him back there returning kicks because that's going to be a bunch of really hard full speed impacts that I don't think he'll survive. So, you know, Tyreek Hill, you can return kicks with because he's, he's he's a more solid individual as far as just physical build. So, you know, Ross is going to get drafted. It's going to be probably too high if he ends up having the injury history. And then we could all be wrong and, you know, the Colts could draft him or somebody. And then we just have to watch him just blaze past us, you know, two times a uh, season. <laughs> I did see where someone said Al Davis came back from the dead to draft John Ross. <laughs> <laughs> he would. He's exactly his type of player. He's a little exactly. short for Al Davis, but yeah, Al he's Davis gonna... drafts speed. 
he's going to go earlier than he should, and I'm okay with it as long as it's not to us. But I think that like we took Chris Johnson at 24 in 2008. Um, I could see him going around then, but I really think somebody is going to take a chance on him a little too early and, and better off, in my opinion. I would rather not be the team to take a chance on him. All right, guys, let's move on from John Ross here. Joe Markin asks, uh, do you think the actions of Reuben Foster affected his status, and do you think his apology helped uh, helped at all? And, and what do you think this will end up? Uh, the total package will end up affecting his draft status. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, I, I I think it was a bad look for him. I don't think it affects his draft status any because everybody knows what kind of player he is on the field. And he didn't punch anybody. He didn't bite somebody's face. He's still going to have a pro day. He's still going to get drafted right about where he was. Uh, if Unless somebody's actually looking at you know him and McMillan and Cunningham and trying to pick between the three of them, and then they just say, okay, well, Cunningham didn't bite somebody's face, so I'm going to make him the guy ahead of him. That's about what it comes down to. <laughs> bite somebody's face. <laughs> bite somebody's face. He went fucking zombie or something on him. You know, get some bath salts right before the combine. Right. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I think it did affect it, but not to the point where you're going to pick another guy over him. I think it might, you know, teams that are looking at him, um, you know, three or four overall, anywhere in the top ten, I think he may slide back a few picks. You know, I think a few teams will pass on him. He is a dirty player. I mean, he, he's a beast on the field, but when, you know, national title game, he had a few cheap shots that I noticed. Um, that's not saying I don't want him on the team, because I do. He, he's, he's a very good player. But I do think a few teams will pass on him for that, the character issues he has. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you put it really well there, Matt. I, exactly what I was going to say is I think he slips a few spots because of this. I don't think you see like a big movement, but you know maybe five total. Uh, that he he would have dropped. Or sorry, five from where he would have been spots to where he will end up being. He's still a monster of a player, and and for as the apology, the apology means nothing because you know you can never know if it's sincere or not because. Everybody just immediately apologizes as soon as they realize what they did was is going to give them negative publicity. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or whatever public kind of figure you are. So the apology means nothing. It's just expected. Uh, but I think it drops him a little bit because he'd made an idiot move in the t- one time that you really cannot afford to make an idiot move of any kind. Uh, it'll drop him. It'll take him off of a few team sports. But he'll still end up going relatively early. Uh, because he is a fantastic football player. Yeah, if anything, I would drop him back just because he pulled the uh, "Do you know who I am?" Oh, what like a you're at the fucking thing. combine. Of course, I know who the fuck you are. <laughs> that is the douchiest thing I think a human being can say. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Like, yeah, you're the guy who's leaving the fucking combine. That being said, if this podcast ever like goes gangbusters, I will use that line every day of my life. There you go. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Like, yeah, you say guy was peeing on the sidewalk yesterday. Get out of here, Moreland. <laughs> Hell yeah, peeing on sidewalks <laughs> everywhere, all over Nashville. Um, <laughs> we'll move on, though, from Reuben Foster. Reg Bannock asks, if we're setting at five and there has been no safeties or corners taken at that point, who are you taking with the fifth pick, assuming we're not trading back? That's tough. 
Uh, for me, I mean, we need corner most, and, and I guess Lattimore is probably my answer, but I think I like both safeties a little bit more than I like Lattimore. It's just not as extreme of a need for us. Um, I think Malik Hooker is probably going to be maybe not in his first rookie year, but overall I think he'll probably be the best safety coming out this year. With that being said, Jamal Adams is probably going to be very close. I think they're both going to have great careers, don't get me wrong. But just the style that Malik Hooker plays, I think he's going to he's going to be something special. Um, to pair him up with Byard I think would be nasty. But for right now, not only do we need to draft an, a first-round corner, we're going to need another corner, whether it be in free agency or the draft or even both. So, I mean, corner is such a strong need for us. I guess my answer has to be Lattimore. But I like both of those safeties a lot. I do too. Uh, I, I think all three of these players are can't miss, you know, is barring injuries. Uh, it's that's the question for everybody but Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is probably the safest guy to pick because he doesn't have a bad injury history like that. Uh, but I, I still think I have to go Lattimore. I mean, a, a six foot one corner with that kind of speed, with that kind of tape. It just you, you, he's got everything you need at a position that we desperately need. I mean, we haven't had a star corner here in a long time. You know, the, the closest thing to it is Pac-Man Jones, and he spent more time in jail than he did on the field first that year. <laughs> you know, so I mean, Hooker and Adams, either one, beautiful. I will not complain at all what we do, but I would take the corner if it was me making that call. Yeah, I agree. It'd have to be Lattimore at this point. Uh, based off of need, uh, it's probably the main thing, and value. Um, you know, right now in our league, corners are valuable, more valuable um, than safeties are. And, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with it. But if you really think about it, it, it might be a better play to go safety just because of how deep corner is. You can still get, uh, you know, you'll still get a fantastic corner at 18. You'll still get a really solid corner in the third round uh, as deep as this class is uh so it might be the smart play to try to go uh safety and then corner but for me if i'm making the call i'd, I'd go with marshawn Lattimore there just because of how talented the kid is and at five you're not going to get another chance at him after that he's not going very far past five if you don't take him there but let's move on here to the last question in the mailbag colby cooper asks do you see Cameron Sutton slipping into the third round because of how deep this draft class is at cornerback? I think he could. I think he's better than a third-round pick. But um, if that were the case, I think we'd be lucky to snag him in the third because he could also be our return man uh, if we do get him. So um, if he falls to the third, uh, could he fall to the third? Yeah, I think he could just because of the, the depth of what what's coming out. Uh but to be fair, I don't think he is, you know, the typical third rounder. Yeah, I mean, he's better than your normal third rounders, but that's the deal with this draft. Uh, there's so many, you know, good corners. Uh, there's only, you know, Lattimore, Sidney Jones, Humphreys. Those are like the three premier guys. And then you've got your next layer down from there. And we saw, you know, some of those speed times, uh, you know, Tease Tabor. He's going to have to be a safety. He can't be a corner. He's just not fast enough. So he's going to drop down. And you're going to see some of the people that are rated above Sutton kind of fall off 
Uh, a lot of it will be because of 40 times or you know this or that. So if he's in the third round, that's second-round value for sure. So it's a great pick for us. I don't know that he'll be there, uh, but he could be. I would definitely take him. Yeah, I definitely think he could slide. Um, obviously a very talented football player, but, uh, you know, he has the injury history with the uh, the ankle, I believe it was, fractured ankle. Um, so that'll get, is going to, you know, something that's going to weigh on teams' minds. I think you could see him slide that far. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd put money on it right now because he's a talented guy. And just like Glenn said, you're going to see some guys slip out of his way and move him up on the, the list of corners. But, um, you know, it is a really deep, uh, draft at corner and you know there's how many teams don't need a corner and then you know the guys the teams that reach early are not going to need a guy later on so it's it opens up for those guys to start sliding back to where you're getting really talented guys in the third and fourth round at cornerback so I definitely think it's a possibility it'd be awesome to be able to grab a guy of his talent and his skill level in the third round especially at a position that is obviously our most pressing need That's all we have for the mailbag, though, this week. Thanks to everybody who submitted every week. If you want to get your question on the mailbag, uh, you can find it on our Facebook page, at Two-Tone Podcast, or just search for Two-Tone Uncensored. Uh, we always put them on there. Or if you're a member of the two- Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook fan page, we always put it on there, too. Um, and that's where we get all of our questions from. So if you have been trying to get your question in, I had some people message me about it that's how you do it just go to one of those two places on facebook uh, and you'll see a post we put up each week just comment your question there we pick the best ones every week um, and answer them on the show but let's get out of out of the mailbag guys let's get into the news here and and it's mostly combine talk but before we get into the combine real quick let's talk about brandon cooks probably the biggest news for tennessee um Everybody's saying right now the Titans are the front runner to get the wide receiver out of New Orleans. The prospect of landing Cooks is looking more and more likely as the day rolls, days roll on. Tomorrow, obviously recording this Monday night, tomorrow Tuesday is when teams are officially allowed to start talking to players. Thursday is when free agency officially opens up. So we're going to get more news on this in the coming days uh, if we don't see him signed already by then. So, guys, just going through, first, what do you think about this? We haven't really talked about Cooks on the show yet. What do you think about the prospect of getting him, and what do you think we're going to have to give up in order to get a player of his caliber? It's more what I don't want to give up. I, I'm happy to swap, like, the first for the 12th. I'd be okay with that. Um, you know what you're getting. You're, you're getting a blazingly fast uh, receiver who's shown he can be productive, who can throw up 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, He has had Drew Brees throwing in the ball. He's had issues with not getting the ball enough because he wants the ball. Um, We all know receivers like that. The the best ones want it every time because they're always open, you know, as far as they're concerned. He's not tall. He's definitely the John Ross comparison. Um, The price is probably right for him. And if you can trade the first for the 12th and make any other moves later on in the draft somewhere – with the, the either with the Saints or you know through somebody else, 
he, he's definitely good value. He's somebody that we, I feel, need on this team. We need somebody who can just blast down the field. You know, so, somebody who makes defenses pay attention to him, even when he's just, you know, uh, being used as a decoy. When you have really good running backs, a good tight end, and somebody like that on the team, you can get an awful lot done on offense. Uh, that said, uh, when I was going back and researching on him, it, it, it amused me that I found a NFL scout actually wrote down lacks elite blazing speed to run by NFL corners and safeties. <laughs> Who the <laughs> fuck were they watching? <laughs> it's like that's his holy move is he's really, really fast. Uh, he's not a great punt returner. He's not a great kick returner. He's not a good blocker. But he's really, really fast. And so somebody thought he wasn't fast enough to run past people in the NFL. It was crazy to me. Yeah, I honestly think he'd be a great fit on the team. I have questions about his his attitude because obviously the, the Saints are shopping him for a reason. Um, I don't know if the whole, you know, I want the ball – is kind of blown out of proportion a little bit because if you if you look back at his games, I don't have it in front of me, but I do remember from a, a fantasy standpoint, this guy would have you know six catches, a buck forty, two touchdowns one game, and then have a goose egg the next. So I mean, from a receiving standpoint, that's kind of frustrating when you know you know you can be the guy and then you don't even get a catch or a reception the very next game. So I mean, he has a valid point if that's the only gripe he has um but again like glenn said it's not really how how would he fit here it's it's what do we have to give up to get him if it's a swap for the 11th pick that's fine to give up the 18th pick that's kind of like what i was getting into earlier with would i rather have him or, or john ross i'd probably rather have him but if john ross is somewhat comparable you know translating to to nfl play i think that you know it's obviously a smarter deal to draft your own player as opposed to spend the spend the money on a guy that's already in the league. Now he has a he has a special rookie contract to where the fifth year is not the option. I'm not sure how it works exactly. Maybe you know Ryan. I'm not sure, but it's actually a four year deal. So he only really has one more year on this rookie deal. If we can swap picks, I'm all about it. If the, if there's some sort of Anything but giving up one of our first round picks, I'd be all about you know getting him on the team. But to just straight up give up the 18th pick, I don't think I'd do it. I've seen the you know the rumor flying around about the swapping of picks, and I just think it's a little bit insane. I, I just like yeah, it would be awesome. I just definitely don't think the Saints are going to give him up for that. Um, I think that was a pipe dream from the start when I first saw it. That's my first reaction, and and I still think the same way. I just don't think they're going to give up a player that has been their best wide receiver for a couple years now just to swap and get a pick, you know, what, six spots earlier in the first round. I think we're going to have to give up the 18th if we want him or possibly, uh, you know, maybe swap the 18th for a second-round pick. Uh, could be a possibility. I don't. I. I don't really know how I feel about that one. That would probably be the one that I, I might be okay with dropping back into the second round. You know, for getting rid of the 18th for a guy like Cooks. But I just feel like for where we're setting right now for the Titans, I think there's better moves to be made in order to get someone just as, or you know, maybe even more talented 
and at wide receiver that could make a bigger difference for our team. I, you know, Cooks is blazingly fast. He could do a lot stretching the field for you. Um, but, you know, we're still going to be a run-first team with a quarterback that has an improving arm strength, uh, but not great arm strength. So I think I'd rather see a guy with size, with, you know, with a big body that can do more you know, uh, possession kind of than a guy that can burn down the field because I think he, we'd be, use him more. He'd be more useful in our system. That's why I'd like to get a guy, and I know Matt's going to shed a tear when I say this, I'd love to get a guy like Matt, uh, Mike Williams out of Clemson a big-bodied guy, perfect possession receiver who also has the ability to break you know, big plays. With that being said, though, I think you're going to have to give up the 18th or drop back into the second round in order to get him. I don't think the swap is realistic. I don't think that um, the Saints are going to give it up for that. If they do, it'd be awesome. I mean, that would be an amazing move. Uh, you absolutely pull the trigger on that as fast as possible before New Orleans has enough time to, to think about how dumb they're being. Uh, but I just don't see that happening yeah and you got to remember new orleans is in the driver's seat in this negotiation no matter who they deal them to so i mean it's probably i mean you, you got to realize cooks although i'd rather have like you just said i'd rather have mike williams than cooks but as of right now for production cooks is better than any receiver coming out so there's got to be more than just give up our 18th pick. Like there's, there's got to be something more for us, for us to be able to do that. I'd like to have him, but again, man, we're in such a good position. I don't want to screw it up. Keep this in mind too. The the Patriots offered their first round pick for Cooks, and the Saints turned it down already. Well, it's a lot later. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a 32nd, but if you're thinking about you know swapping six spots or just having an extra first round pick. Uh, the value of having just you know uh, that what it basically is an early second round pick is better than just swapping and moving up six spots. The value is much more there, so I don't. That's why I really don't think that's going to happen. And I think we're going to have to give up the eighteen, possibly maybe talk them into throwing a later round pick in there. Even the second round, I still think is a stretch. Um, in order to get him, we're going to have to pay. Like Matt said, they're in a driver's seat. Yeah, he won't come cheap. Uh, honestly, if you ask me if I want Cooks or if I'd rather have somebody like O.J. Howard, I think I'd probably take O.J. Howard just because of what this team does and how we want to go about doing it. Um, I, th- I think having that kind of speed up the middle of the field would be just as valuable for what we do as having uh, Cooks on the outside edge. Uh, taking nothing away from Cooks, he's an amazing player, and if you could trade five for 11, awesome. Okay, that's great. And then you could still draft O.J. Howard. But giving up that other first-round pick makes you a lot less comfortable trading that uh, that first pick away. Uh, so if John Robinson were to trade the 18th for Cook, then what's he going to do with that you know number five pick? Because he's probably going to have to trade it back to get some more you know draft capital. Um, he's probably going to be looking for that first and second round pick at that point. And then we're all a lot less jazzed about uh, what's going on with our first round. Yeah, and the good thing about having John Robinson, I don't think he's in love with Cook, so I don't think he's going to do anything outrageous to try to get him. But you I never can't know. See him paying. No, I don't. I don't think he will. But it's basically a wait and see game. I don't think a deal is going to be made before the draft, so we'll see. And not, no matter what, it won't be made until the ninth, so we have plenty of time to wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the rest of the news, guys, it's just. You know, the Combine just finished. 
Um, is there any guys that really stood out to your guys that you wanted to, to talk about or, or some things that you noticed that you wanted to bring up? Uh, first, I'll start us off. It's just speed. It seemed like this year, especially compared to last year, you know, the tight ends were faster, the corners were faster, the wide receivers were faster. The, it seemed like every position got faster this year than it was last year. Uh, definitely something impressive to see. There's, you know, Lattimore putting up that four three six was unbelievable. I thought he was going to be a higher end four four guy, like a four four eight four four seven. Uh, and definitely, you know, way faster than that. You saw guys like O.J. Howard at you know two hundred and fifty three pounds, I believe, running a four five one, which is you just wonder if that's actually humanly possible. If you know, I had to like blink my eyes and rub them a couple times to make sure I wasn't dreaming when I saw that. Just fantastic numbers put up by a lot of guys in the forty time it was definitely something that I noticed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was commenting early on that the thing I was looking forward to the most was just seeing a a draft class of players who can actually run. Last year drove me insane. It was a last year was a year where you had to be drafting a lot of guys in the you know on the lines, the the front seven on the defense because there was no speed on the back end last year. There were no there was no speed at wide receiver. Um, you know it just it was a very lackluster group last year. And this year you got a bunch of guys who are tall, who are fast, who are just dynamic players. So it's a really good year for us to have a couple of first round picks and for us to be looking for a playmaker, a wide receiver, you know, really good corners, uh, safety. Uh, but a, a guy that I don't know that we target, but I was really impressed with today was uh, Obi Millenfonwu. He made a lot of money today. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, you're six foot four, you run a four four forty, a forty four inch vertical, uh, and then a uh, what was it, a fourteen point one inch or something like that, or a twelve. What, what was his uh, horizontal? The broad jump wasn't it like eleven nine? It's like eleven nine. He almost ran out of. He almost out. Yeah, they only the go to twelve arc. feet, and that's like the last mm-hmm. marker. So he was almost off the charts. Yeah, I mean his measurables are insane. He's not a bad player. He's a little bit raw at everything he does. You know, when he's on the football field, he's, he's his footwork needs some work. You know, he, he's not the greatest guy at turning and running with people. But you're not going to throw over the top of a safety like that. You just stick him on a uh, tight end all day long and just deny them the ball. Uh, is I was really impressed with him. I don't see him as a guy the Titans target, but man, he was an impressive guy. You know, today he, he was someone I really enjoyed watching. Uh, just just seeing him go out there and do the workouts because he he looked really good at it. Uh, so some of the other guys out there that really impressed. Uh, we're going to talk about him. You know, tonight. Uh, like Dobbs, I thought he did pretty good for himself. Uh, he, he he moved himself up probably a full round just from the way it looked like he was you know performing out there. Uh, other other guys they didn't impress me like you know Tease Tabor he fell off. Quincy Wilson who I liked better than Tabor uh, his forty time didn't do anything for me. But a guy like Adoree Jackson, uh, you know he he's a uh, very physically dynamic player. He's made some good plays in college. He's still a little bit raw, but you can bring him in day one as your kick returner. He can catch the ball well enough on offense that you could you know, put some packages in there for him uh, there, all while turning him into a superstar corner at some point. Uh, I just I, I 
I loved having all that speed running around out there. I wish I was able to just sit and watch more of the combine this year than I was able to. I, I got a lot of tape. I want to go back and look and just go, you know, see some of these numbers, uh, compare the uh, combine times and what they did against their uh, college film, and just you know see see what actually matches up. Yeah, I won't repeat any of what you said. The only thing I'll add to that, maybe Leonard Fournette's forty time kind of surprised me. A four five one. He's right there with Dalvin Cook, so uh, his vertical wasn't too impressive, but I think overall uh, Leonard Fournette helped himself with that 40 time. That's what uh, you know made O.J. Howard so impressive. I talked about it earlier. You know, Everybody was talking about, like, wow, man, after Leonard Fournette ran, he was like, wow, that 4-5-1, impressive for a big guy like him. And then O.J. Howard comes out and does it at 30-plus uh, pounds more <laughs> than Fournette. That really impressed me. That I think is one of the most impressive forty times that I saw uh, O.J. Howard, had, and he had a great workout too. Um, the guy you mentioned, uh, Adoree Jackson, had a great day to day working out, and but you knew he was going to. You know, he's just a physical specimen, really great dynamic player that can do a lot for you. But the you know at cornerback, it's going to take him a while to get to the point where he's NFL ready. But he can do a lot for do a lot for you in the return game until he's. Uh, ready to take over that corner spot, as, as Glenn was saying. Um, one guy, the quarterback, and I know that we're not in the, the market for a quarterback, but uh, Peterman from Pittsburgh, I think he did himself a lot of favors. He reminded me a lot of, of Marcus coming out. He doesn't have the dynamic ability or the you know the running ability, the athleticism, but he's a great short passer. You go back and watch this tape at those short to middle mid routes, um, he was right on the money each time. The ball was coming out with the cuts. I mean, he was really threw a lot of great footballs. But then it got to the deep part, and he was dead on accurate, right on the line. But all of them, every single pass, wide receiver had to slow down to, to grab it. You know, it's just another guy that's a great accuracy, but not the biggest arm in the world for sure. He impressed me. Dobbs, as you mentioned, Webb um, from Cal. He had a, a really good workout as well. You know, some of these quarterbacks that are going to be going in the middle of the round is really showing that there's not that big of a gap between them and the, and the bigger names of this draft class. And then one more thing that I noticed was um, obviously Miles Garrett. You know, it's it's a guy that we won't be in the market for unless, you know, something happens. Maybe he gets his own face mask bong. Uh, but, I mean, the kid had a fantastic workout. He's been, you know, the number one pick for months now, and he just reaffirmed that. Uh, you know, his workout, I believe it was yesterday, jumped out of the roof, had, had an amazing, uh, everybody's been posting the picture of, of his um, his vertical compared to uh, Odo Beckham Jr.'s because he was quite higher than what OBJ's was when he came out of, of college. He had a, just a, a fantastic workout, really reaffirming what everybody thought in him, or believed that they were seeing in him. Just how deep this cornerback class is. I think, you know, it's something that's been overstated, obviously. But, I mean, there were some guys working out that, you know, I was noticing today. Xavier Woods had himself a really good day in the workouts. He looked really fluid in his movements. Um, a lot of really solid corners in this draft, which is great for us because it's definitely a position of need. And I think if we take one early, I don't think it's going to be the only one we take. I, you know, I think we still get a guy later in the rounds. I think. We can still get a guy in those middle rounds at three, four, five that can come in and and compete for a job day one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talent here. 
Russell Douglas is a guy of obviously being a homer. The only one I was telling Matt about it earlier was Jordan Lewis is a guy that early on was projected to be a first rounder and then, you know, didn't quite have the season that everybody expected him to. And every time I watch tape on him or I watch his workouts, I get less and less impressed by the kid. I just I just don't see what everybody else is seeing in Jordan Lewis out of Michigan. But those were my takeaways from the combine today. Yeah, you know what? I would totally uh, Photoshop picture or work a video of Miles Garrett smoking a bong if that would get him to five. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, all right, get to work. That's what we yeah. need, Glenn. <laughs> we need some hookers and we need some blow, and we got to go make a bad video. And then we'll just tell John <laughs> Robinson that we set this up. It didn't actually happen this way. <laughs> One of the uh, Facebook group crackheads suggested that we, he's like, why don't we trade our fifth and 18th to get uh, number one and take Miles Garrett? We're like, uh, no. Okay. It's like, as awesome as that would be, this isn't Madden. This has real consequences in the real world. That would, <laughs> that would not be awesome. I'd be so pissed. Well, no I doubt. Uh, having, having him on the team would be awesome. Yeah, what I it mean, would cost to get him compared to what we need to do with our, you know, our defense? Nah. <laughs> Listen, as much potential as he has, he's not turning Cleveland around. I hate to tell anybody that, but he's aware of that. That's why he was begging Dallas to trade up and get him. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, I really don't want to waste two draft picks. What if Miles Garrett doesn't turn out and you traded both first rounders for him? You traded two first rounders. So you picked took a guy for two first round draft picks. That'd be the biggest bust of all time. <laughs> But that's about all we have for the first half of the show. We're going to head into a quick commercial break. When we come back, as promised, Sean Coleman, friend of the show, is coming on to talk about his Tennessee Volunteers and what we should be looking in the draft prospects that are coming out of uh, Tennessee. So we'll be right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk to crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Etcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code TWOTONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. Hey, Titans fans, it's Ryan from the show. 
We've been telling you about this first-round mock draft that's taking place in the Facebook group, Tennessee Titans Uncensored. This is the last update that you're going to get from us about this competition because the deadline is March 10th. If you want to compete, all you have to do is go to Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook and find the first-round NFL mock draft pool. The idea is simple. You make a mock draft. The more accurate you are, the more points you're going to receive. The more points you're going to receive, the more likely it is you finish in the top 10, and everyone who finishes in the top 10 will receive a prize. The prizes include a Marcus Mariota rookie card, Chris Johnson autographed rookie card, a Jack Conklin autographed rookie card. There's a lot of really great stuff to win here. If you're not already in the competition, you must act fast. Again, the deadline is March 10th at 11.59 p.m. All you got to do is go to Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook, find the post about the mock draft pool, and comment your name there, and you will be entered into the competition. After that, you need to do your research, start getting your mock draft together. You have until 30 minutes before the draft starts. Send your final copy of your mock draft. Good luck to everybody out there. Tighten up. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back from that commercial break. As promised, we're sitting here with Sean Coleman, diehard Tennessee Volunteers fan. He's going to take us through all of the, the draft prospects coming out of Tennessee this year. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing well, doing well. Thank y'all for the opportunity. Thanks for coming on. Glad to have you, man. All right, Sean. We're going to start off here with uh, Derek Barnett, your guys' defensive end, standing at six foot three, two sixty-five. Had a pretty fantastic workout at the combine. Looked pretty good. And you know, all SEC pick. A guy was a first-team All-American uh, by most people's standards. Where do you think, as of right now, we're going to see Barnett come off of the board? To be honest, that his his draft stock has kind of dropped over the uh, uh, over the past two months, and it's hard to believe. You know, his that the opinion of Barnett has not changed, but it, when you start to look at the post um, film, the the postseason combines, and you know, athletic, when you start looking at people's athleticism, that's when you start to see the risers. Barnett, unfortunately, in that case, is a faller, in my opinion. I think that he's mid to late first round. Um, I, Barnett is someone that is not as adjustable to a lot of schemes as, as you may like as other prospects like Garrett Williams and things like that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll discuss that more in a second. But I really think mid to late first round um, is his opportunity. I think that number nine at or at the Panthers, I believe they have number nine, uh, a lot of the 4-3 defensive schemes that put a lot of emphasis on the uh, – um, the defensive ends, the Panthers, the Giants, the Eagles. I really think that, you know, in that mid-first round, to, you know, kind of in the teens and early 20s, I think that's where Barnett will fall. Do you think, you know, you talked about him being in uh, a 4-3. Do you think his size, being at 265, do you think that will limit him from playing in, you know, a 3-4 system? Correct. And, and the reason that I say that more than anything is because athleticism is one of the, is the one thing that he's average at. Um, Derek Barnett 
you know, and, and when you look when you look at the highlight films, when you look at a Miles Garrett, when you look at a Jadavion Clowney, when you look at these freak defensive ends, I mean, defensive ends just like tight ends are are some of the most beautiful athletes to watch because of the fact that they it's it's like superhuman some of the things that they can do. That's not Barnett's game. Barnett, instead of out athleting everybody, he out he out technique to everybody. The smarts, the power, the hand use, the ability to make moves, the strategy of it, that is Barnett's game. And he is more apt to be successful at that based off his body size in a 4-3 defense where he can get the leverage coming up versus standing up going into an offensive lineman. Um, in the NFL, you know, power and things such as that, that's not going to have as big of a impact as it did in college because simply everybody's an athlete. Everybody's big. Everybody's strong. So the way that Barnett was able to overpower people in the college game, yeah, it was great to see, and it shows up well on tape, but it's going to be his smarts and his technique, I think, that's going to allow for him to have success in the NFL game, the swim moves, the ability to be able to play the run, the ability to cut off the angles for the running backs, as well as being able to get to the quarterback on a consistent basis. His game just comes better out of the stance and the 4-3 defenses than it does the 3-4 due to a lack of quickness and also his strength being technique. That said, you know, if he lines up on a tight end, the tight end's going to have an awful hard time getting off the block against him. Uh, like you said, his his hand usage is really good. Uh, he puts a hit on the tight end coming out of his block. He he would be a good guy for changing the tight end's route right off the bat, he, even in a 3-4, just as an outside rusher. The, the thing I was impressed by him in this uh, combine was his three-cone drill. Uh, he's a top performer in that. It showed a lot of change of direction, and more lateral agility than I expected to see from him. He kind of surprised me in that. His, his other stats, like you said, they don't jump out at you. But I think he could be a 3-4 uh, a guy if they move him to outside linebacker, let him play more of the uh, Nick Perry role up in uh, Green Bay. Uh, just, you know, he, he's a, as a pass rusher, as a, a sub-package guy who comes in there just as a physical presence, and like you said, with great technique that he's already got. So he, he could come in and play in a 3-4. I just I don't know that that's his choice spot. And, and I really think, you know, we get a good example of it out of Kevin Dodd for the Titans right now. You know, Kevin Dodd is a 6'5", 275-pound defensive end. I know that he stood up a little bit at Clemson, but to me he's more of a 4-3 uh, guy who could potentially use power to be able to get past the tackle. But, no, you bring up a great point. You know, the one uh, comparison that I kind of see is the Whitney Merciless, Nick Perry-type um, guys, you know, those big-bodied guys who win with technique and power but also have the ability and the agility to be able to do it in coverage. I mean, if you look at the game tape of, of Barnett at Tennessee, it was unbelievable. I was just as impressed from his ability to get to the quarterback as I was with his ability to cover. I mean, downfield, there were two or three plays last year where he had deflections. I mean, his first two years in Tennessee, he had one pass deflection. Last year, he had five. He also has the unique ability to be able to be to read the screen, and whenever the quarterback is about to dump it off to the running back, there were several plays last year where he was able to block it. The quarterback took tucked the ball back in, and we wound up getting a sack or a tackle for loss. So his ability to read the play schemes and know on an instance, okay, this is a screen, this is going to be a draw, this is a, a quarterback sneak, or this is a quarterback run, it's unbelievable his recognition skills, just as well as it is his ability to get past the blocker. So I do agree with, it, with you that you are correct. In the 3-4 stand-up opportunity, he would be able with his recognition skills to still make a difference, um, even though I think he's better for the 4-3. 
Uh, next guy I wanted to talk to you about is Alvin Kamara at running back, and he is interesting to say the least. A guy that you know went to Alabama, has a, a history of getting in trouble. Obviously, transfers to Tennessee. Uh, was very productive as a volunteer. Uh, how much do you think his off the field issues that he had, especially in that time when he was transferring, will affect or should affect his draft status? To be honest with you, I think it, two years uh, coming back, uh, the two years that he was at Tennessee, uh, the one thing that I've seen scouts say is that, yes, he did have you know his downfalls. He was a young man. You know, We've seen that that is impacting. It seems like a lot more prospects this year. I guess that's the, from the heightened awareness in the NFL in general. But over the past two years, there have been nothing but positive things about Kamara. His work ethic, his team leadership. I know that he was made a captain, you know, after, you know, one year uh, here from junior college. A lot of the players really, really went to him. As a matter of fact, Kamara was one of the shining stars in the locker room when we were going through the whole Jalen Hurd situation. Jalen Hurd was the poster boy of Butch Jones's, um, you know, tenure here at Tennessee. He was the, the highest rated player who was going to stay and, you know, being the running back, he was going to be the focal point. Obviously, you know, that fell through this year. And Kamara, you know, especially after his game against Texas A&M, you know, he did get injured, but he stayed a positive force. And there were just a lot of positive reviews that came out from him. So his locker room presence, the question about his off-the-field um, activity, I think that that really got um, taken care of by the locker room presence that he showed. And not only that, his work ethic on the field. You know, he puts in a lot of effort to be able to make a difference on the field, and it shows on the game tape. Yeah, I mean, he had absolutely great numbers at Tennessee. And then going into this combine, you know, at, he's a bigger guy, obviously, at uh, 215 pounds. Ran a four five six, which was slower than what a lot of people pegged him at, and then had 15 reps at the bench press. It really didn't have that great of a combine. wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what a lot of people were expecting to see from him. With that being said... Where do you see him ranking with the running backs in this class? I have him number four in my rankings. Um, whenever I look at a running back's uh, ability in the NFL, I look at their running ability. A lot of folks want to sit there and get the Uber athlete. A lot of folks want to see passing game, the home run threat, all that different stuff. I look at their ability to run. You know, I've actually got Nixon above um, Cook in my rankings because I believe in Nixon more as a running back than I do Cook. Cook is a kind of, you know, an all-purpose back. Um, and i got Fournette, Nixon, Cook, um, Kamara, and McCaffrey. Um, and the thing about it is, is that the reason I have him at number four, I think that Kamara is going to be a better runner than McCaffrey, for instance. Uh, McCaffrey is a very, very hesitant, heady type runner. Um, he, he, a little bit of Le'Veon Bell in his game, but Kamara is someone who consistently goes forward. If you look at his game tape, Kamara reminds you a lot of Cordero Patterson when he's in the open field. The thing about it is, is that they're consistently moving downfield, and he doesn't do a lot of side to side. Um, ability to run past people and things like that. He makes small moves and small spaces to get himself space to where he can go. The combine was not that surprising for me. The one thing about Kamara that a lot of people don't realize, he actually had the highest spark score at the combine. He was in the 79th percentile, and it was because of his lower body um, strength. He had a 39-inch vertical and nearly an 11-inch broad jump. And the reason why that matters is because it allows for him to be able to have excellent body control. If you talk to any of the scouts, body control is the one thing that really sets Kamara apart. It's his ability to be able to get open in small areas when he catches a pass and also the ability to hit the hole and immediately juke out to the left or right 
to be able to get some extra yardage. The long speed was always not there. Um, whenever you watch the highlight tapes, you sit there and you think to yourself, okay, I'm expecting him to hit this extra gear. He can hit his top gear very quickly, but it's not as top of a gear as you would think. It leaves a lot lacking when you think that he's got the home run talent. And he doesn't have that. He's not a long speed 4-3 guy. But what he wins with is his body control and his lower body power, and it really allows for him to do a lot of production in small spaces, much more than you would think he would do. Yeah, one of the things I saw with him was he's good at getting to the second and third level. He doesn't make, always make the best ball carrier decisions once he gets there. Uh, it's almost like he wants a little bit more contact than he should be looking for. Like you said, he doesn't have that incredible blow-you-away speed. So I, I think at the next level they're going to work with him on doing a little bit more moving around just when he gets to that second level, a better job of taking better angles to get away from defenders. Cause sometimes it looked like he was actually running towards the defender. Like he wanted to go run somebody over when he should have been taking a little bit better angle and probably get another five or six yards downfield. I completely agree with that pro comparison that I've seen to Kamara um, that I really think you look at combine numbers, you look at running style, um, is, is, is Devontae Freeman. Um, I really think that there are some, some good, solid comparisons there. And, and the reason that I say that is, is that Devontae Freeman's kind of the same way. Devontae Freeman will not shy away from contact. That may lead to a short career, but it also gives him the confidence and the decisiveness of being able to know, I'm going to hit this hole and make the most of it and go. Kamara's got a similar stance on it. He's not, I'm going to run with my own fire type that Devontae Freeman is. He's much more smoother poetry and motion type. But yeah, Kamara does like to go for that extra yardage. He's going to have to learn how to eventually be smarter and know for the if he's going to be able to be more productive with an increase in touches that's going to come in the NFL that you know everybody hopes he'll get. He's going to have to avoid that contact. And I think that he understands that his game is being able to to avoid the big hit in small areas because of how much body control he has the lateral quickness, the ability to make a quick jab step to the left, go straight up the field and elude tacklers. He's going to have to rely more on that than trying to run people over or hurdle over them like you saw in college at some points. Sean, were you surprised that the Titans took time to interview Kamara? Not at all. Um, uh, not, Not at all. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, to me, are two players that you may not think the Titans need, but I really, really do think that they are great targets for the Titans. One of the biggest reasons why is because of the fact that last year we set everything up on the run, and it was great that we did that. You know, Henry and Murray are great runners, but you did see Murray was very, very successful at being able, especially in the red zone at times, being able to get a little bit of a space open, and um, Mariota would hit him. Mariota is one of the NFL's best, if not the best, at being able to hit a guy in stride while Mariota is on the run 5 to 15 yards downfield two of the best weapons in this draft at being able to exploit that in the defense and gain extra yards after it are Kamara and McCaffrey. I really do think that we could get both of those. One of the, If we can get one of those guys, if we trade it back in the second round, maybe you got them. We could split them out wide, have Murray or Henry in the backfield as well, but we could really utilize that five to ten yard you know, in flat areas or over the middle. We could really use their athleticism and use Mariota's accuracy to get them the ball in stride to where 15 to 20 yards downfield, they're able to get you know a big game that could really you know be a pivotal play in the game. Also, their ability to run to the edge. Um, you know, Murray did a great job of being able to set up his tackles to the edge, but he's more of an in-between the tackles runner. You know, Henry obviously is as well. If we could sit there in, in the early part of the game, get Henry or Murray to be able to use that 
part of their game to really, really penetrate into the defense, get the box loaded up. You could sit there and use McCaffrey or Kamara on the outside. But, no, I was not surprised at all and really think that it would be a smart decision. We need offensive playmakers. We need home run threats. And I do feel that Kamara or McCaffrey would really be someone that could utilize Mario's skill set to its strength and make a big difference. All right. Uh, moving on to Cameron Sutton, uh, the cornerback. You know, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. We had the question, do you think he could end up slipping into the third round because of how talented this draft class is? You know, he's a guy that has more starts than probably anybody else coming out of the cornerback position in college. Uh, you know, a guy that's played a lot of football. He does have the a uh, little bit of an injury history with the ankle. But coming out, he's a guy that's got, uh, you know, four-year starter. It's something that you don't – it's going to see a whole lot of uh, in this draft process, especially at cornerback, it seems like, this year. A lot of one-year starters. This guy's had a lot more experience than his, than his peers. Uh, how much do you think that experience is, is going to factor into why teams might – you know, take a chance on Sutton earlier than some of the other guys on this list? To an extent, I think it could play a part. Um, Cameron Sutton is someone that, you know, the thing about it is I also think it can hurt him. Um, You know, his experience, he knows knows his game. Cameron Sutton is an athlete. He's someone that has the reactionary skills, the quick hips, the ability to be able to play the ball. He played receiver in high school and was very much looked at as us as being a two-way guy, both on offense and defense when he came to school. And obviously his punt return skills show that when he has the ball in his hands, he can do some good things. But that's the thing about it. He plays the position of cornerback as a wide receiver sometimes, and that can really hurt him. Uh, he gets overconfident. Uh, he, he only gave up three touchdowns you know, in, in this past year, but that's the reason why is because a lot of quarterbacks didn't target him. If you look at his interceptions, a lot of them are bad throws. He has excellent reactionary skills, but a lot of times if you really pay close attention to the plays, they actually save him from misreads. thing about Cameron Sutton that I think does hurt him is that based off all the experience that he has, he really didn't develop his ability to be a physical presence at cornerback nor his reactionary skills. He's not that good if, the, if a receiver gets behind him. He can give up the big play. He's also not any type of presence at all against the run. He's 5'11", 182, but has a very, very hard time against press coverage. When you get these 6'2", 6'3", um, wide receivers in the NFL, they're going to sit there and, you know, if Cameron tries to bump and run him, he's not going to have a lot of success. And teams will run at him because he just does not have a lot of tackle for him at all either. Um, Cameron Sutton to me is a slot corner, and I do think that his experience at cornerback in general will allow for him to be successful there. But in terms of his experience showing teams that he has the ability to be on the outside and be a reliable day day one corner, I think it hurt him more than helped him because his weaknesses are going to be exploited a lot more in the NFL than they were in college. You know, we're just coming off the combine, and Sutton's a guy that you know didn't have overly impressive numbers. Ran in the I believe the four five six. Definitely something at his size that I think a lot of NFL teams are going to take note of. You know, speaking of the 40, we've talked about it a lot. You know, it seems like it's talked about every year. How much do you think it should be factored in when talking about a guy like Cameron Sutton? It should definitely be factored in. The reason why that is is because if you're going to have a guy who's a lack of a physical presence on the outside, with Cameron Sutton's size, he should be an outside corner. But his skill set makes you think that he's more of a slot guy. On the outside, if the guy's going to get beat because he's out physical by the receiver, he better have the closing speed to be able to make up for it. Cameron Sutton isn't that fast. 
What helped him out a lot in college was the ability to react to the ball, to be able to high point the ball before it got thrown on him, so on and so forth. Also, he's not that good at at rotating his hips. He does it quickly. He just does it too late. So the fact that his reactionary skills are not elite, in my opinion, based off what I've seen, plus the fact that he doesn't have a lot of long speed, he would be susceptible to the deep ball, especially with the fact that he's more of a man corner. He's not that adept to the zone-type defenses that a lot of NFL teams set up. So the ability for him to be able to stay with his man, you know, that's going to leave the uh, that's going to leave the short option open. And then also the fact that he's not going to be able to keep up with a lot of the NFL receivers, that's going to make it to where he's susceptible to the deep ball. That's why I think that you put his ability to, even though his decision making isn't good, his fast reflexes and his length, I really could think make a difference in the slot. A lot of times you see those slot corners, they're five eight, five nine. Cameron's almost six foot tall, and he has that ability to be able to stick with the receiver in those five to ten yard crossing routes, small slants, whatever it may be. So I do think that the length of his arms and the ability for him to be able to make plays on the ball, kind of like mm-hmm. a receiver would, it's going to be a lot more successful in the slot than I think on the outside. Yeah, uh, like you said, it's it's the long speed. It's going to be his his shortfall. I, th- I think it's funny that for some reason every year they're always talking about the size of guys' hands. Sims has small hands. Uh, Sharp has small hands. These guys can play football with small hands. I don't get what the big deal is about their hands. The NFL comparison I saw for him was B.W. Webb, which is not exciting. It, it definitely screams nickelback slot. What changes do you think he can honestly make about his, uh, you know, not not just his physique, where he's going to have to get a little bit stronger, I think, in the NFL. What, what else do you think he can honestly expect to be able to change to ever be a, a real starter in the mm-hmm. NFL? Or is he always going to be nickel guy, possibly just you know the fourth guy on on your uh, depth chart? I don't know if he has that capability. That's why I was getting. That's what I was meaning when I said um, you know his experience in his case may have actually hurt more than helped him. Um, the physique, if he wasn't able to add it at Tennessee, then I don't know if he's ever going to be able to add it to where it's going to make a difference. Also, the fact, you know, a lot of things that you want your quarterback to learn, a lot of those small things that NFL teams want you to learn um, is something that he didn't do. Cameron Sutton made a lot of good plays because he's a good. he was a good athlete. He was a receiver-type athlete. I keep saying receiver. reason why is because he plays the ball like a receiver when he's a cornerback. That's hard to be able to have as a success in the NFL on the outside because you've got to be expected to stop the run. You've got to be expected to throw a receiver off his route, and it's just not Cameron Sutton's game. His ability is to stay with the receiver over a short distance, and from there when the ball is tried to be delivered, he can make plays on the ball right then there. His ball skills are actually very good. So to be on the outside and, and you know, for him to be expected to try to play the run, for him to expect it to try to be a bump-and-run type guy who can throw receivers off his routes, I just don't think it's going to be his game. He's really going to make a difference, I feel, in the slot, um, in the nickel defense. you got a lot of NFL defenses now that are going more towards a two-linebacker, five-DB type setup. I think in that type of defense, he actually could excel. And I think that he's also going to make a big presence on special teams. He has the ability to be able to tackle when defending someone on the punt, and he's going to make a good punt returner. Cameron Sutton, if you watch him on his punt returns has excellent ball vision to be able to set up his blocks and go long distances uh, by making smart angles when he's trying to outrun the coverage. So I think that he's going to be more of a depth guy in the NFL than you know a, a starter that a lot of people like. He may eventually be a number two starter, but I I see him being more of a guy that people talk about due to his slot cover skills than being an outside guy. With that being said, where do you think we'll see Sutton go in the draft? I really do think that Sutton's probably going to be a third or fourth round pick. I could, I, I'll guess fourth, uh, just with as many of these one-year guys, and especially the fact 
that, you know, you saw mm. like Marshawn Lattimore. I know Tyler was talking about him last time. You know, the guy's an absolute stud in the combine. The tape shows it as well. I just think that what hurt Cameron more than anything is that a lot of these programs, Washington, Alabama, Florida, all these different programs to where you don't have the four-year starters. You more have every year somebody step up who's probably more talented than Sutton. They were just playing depth to a more talented guy before them. I really do think that depth is going to hurt Sutton in this draft. I think that people are going to go after him in the fourth round for his special teams presence and the ability for him to be quality depth as a cornerback, and I do think that's a good projection for him. You know, if the Titans were to sit there and try to get him in the fourth round, that'd be great. You know, we could take care of two things, you know, in one pick, you know, uh, you know, decent to quality depth um, at the cornerback position and also a punt returner. But just in general, Cameron Sutton is not a guy that excites me because he's very limited on his capabilities um, beyond uh, being able to cover the slot. All right. We're going to move on to Jalen Reeves-Mabin here, uh, six foot two thirty. Playing outside linebacker, not a very big guy playing at outside linebacker. You know, a lot of people have already expressed their concerns for him to be able to stay healthy and be able to contribute on an NFL team at the size that he is right now. Is that something that you would say is a legitimate worry? It very much is. Um, it, 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 it was. It was. It was sad to see it. I was at the Florida game this year, and my fiance was. Uh, made made a great move. She surprised me with my first uh, tickets to a Tennessee Florida game this year, and that was the game that he tried to play. That he just came off the field and, and his shoulder just was dipped, and it was there was just it really took the air out of the crowd uh, in the first half, and it, it definitely is a concern. And one of the biggest reasons why it's a concern is because for such a for for a guy who is considered small for his position. Yes, he has such good athletic ability and he's so smart with his athletic ability. It's his tackle form. His tackle form isn't, you know, the most perfect tackle form that's out there. He 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 launches into people and it makes a big difference. You know, against Appalachian State, for instance, um, he got um, ejected for crowning the guy and it was because he leads with his head. And that's what killed him with his shoulder is that he had he just took so many straightforward blunt shots at, at, at the tailbacks and at the you know wide receivers that he takes a lot of the brunt of the hit, even more so than the offensive guy because he's so small. So with his tackle form and his all-out playing style, I just don't think that his body is going to be sustainable. If you look at his body makeup, you know it looks like that he's pretty much maxed out at where he is. I mean, he even lost you know some strength trying to get healthy. Um, that he, he's a great athlete, but I. I think that his size is really going to be a detriment. You've got smaller linebackers in the NFL. I mean, Telvin Smith is a guy that, you know, I keep wanting to think, you know, Jalen Rees-Maven can eventually become. But I just think that Jalen Rees-Maven, he's going to get picked. I don't think he's going to go undrafted. I think he's going to have to make his presence felt on special teams first. But, yes, his size and his playing style definitely make it to where I don't think it's going to be a long NFL career for him. I think injuries are definitely going to be uh, his downfall. Where do you think you see uh, Reeves Mabin going in this draft? I think that Reeves Mabin is probably your fifth or sixth round pick. And the reason why I say that more than anything is because a lot of he is a guy that you're going to put that injury bug on. Even though it wasn't something that, you know, really, you know, hurt him, you know, throughout his whole entire career, it knocked him out for two seasons, really. I mean, it was a concern, you know, in 2015 and 16. It was a concern last year, obviously, when it knocked him out for the year. Um, he's someone that's going to have to rise himself up. Someone's going to take a chance on him, and he could be a steal. Um, I think that he's going to make his presence known on special teams, though. The thing about Reeves Mabin is he is so smart with his recognition skills. I mean, you, when you see a ball carrier go through the line the first time, someone like a Kamara or a running back, being able to get through the line and dish in, you know, you can jive and get to the second or third level. 
Maven is it's almost like he's doing that on the opposite end. His ability to weave through and shed off blockers to get to the ball carrier is amazing. His ability out in the flat to cut off the running angles. There were so many plays um, that we missed him on that I remember from 2015, where when there was a ball carrier, where it seemed like the ball carrier was going to get you know five to ten yards, you know, on an on an edge sweep or whatever it may be, Reeves Maven would come out of nowhere and be able to launch into him and get back, create a loss or create a two yard gain. So his skill set, he has the skill set to make up for his lack of size. And eventually, if he can sit there and get himself, you know, understood on how he needs to tackle to where he has the ability to use his body correctly and not have to put so much force on his body that, you know, increases the injury risk. I do think that he eventually could be a backup linebacker and could start for a few years. But I think he's a fifth or sixth round pick who's going to have to make a difference on the special teams. I think he is a pro bowler as a special teams producer, but he's going to have to start there, prove that he's healthy, prove that he can stay the, you know, has the longevity to produce on a consistent basis. He could work himself up to a starter, but, you know, a lot of injury risk really hurts his draft stock. All right, we're going to talk real quick about Josh Malone, who was Mr. Football in the state of Tennessee coming out of high school. You know, had a good short career with the Vols and, you know, now heading to the NFL. He's a guy that uh, a lot of people are saying, a lot of people that I know in uh, Tennessee are saying is being overlooked and not getting his due. Uh, he had a good combine from what I've saw, what I've seen of him. He, I, I thought he performed pretty well. What do you think? Do you think this is a guy that's being overlooked? I, I definitely do. Um, and the reason why more than anything is because the one thing that he possesses is what a lot of NFL teams want on a consistent basis, and that's deep playability. Um, when you look at Josh Malone, Josh Malone is a very surprising athlete. Um, when you look at the game tape of Josh Malone, you know there are so many plays in which he's able to get behind the um, cornerback that's guarding him. And it's just it's amazing just how well he is, just how wide open he is in a lot of these deep plays. Throw out a couple of things to you. I mean, the guy averaged 20 yards a catch, you know, with Josh Dobbs as his quarterback. There were so many plays last year in which it was just it was it was a horrible throw by Dobbs, and Malone was able to adjust and make the catch, you know, over the cornerback, around the cornerback, um, and also the fact that John, uh, Josh Malone caught 11 touchdown passes last year. He averaged 41 yards on his 11 touchdown catches. And this ability isn't from Dobbs being able to throw the ball. More than half of those throws were very inaccurate throws that either um, Malone had to adjust on to be able to catch over the cornerback, or he had to take to the house because it was behind him, or you know it was something where he had to create on the run. Um, he is very, very good at being able to get past the initial coverage that is on him. His, he uses a hesitation move to where basically he, as, as the cornerback plants his foot, that's when Malone goes. The 4.4 speed shows that he is a very good athlete. He plays smaller than he actually is. His ability with straight speed to be able to cut and juke to get open is very, very good after that hesitation move. So he can catch balls on all levels of the field. But the great thing about Malone is, is when you watch his game, you think he's some six foot, 200 pound wide receiver. The man is 6'3, 210 pounds. So he can help you out on all levels, whether it be the short routes, the intermediate routes, or obviously the deep balls. I really do think that Josh Malone is a. T- I, Torrey Smith type receiver, almost to an extent, with a little bit better run routing ability, but he's someone that could definitely have a few seasons as a number two wide receiver where he had just double digit touchdown passes and can really make a difference for someone to turn into a contender with his ability to stretch the defense, but also contribute in all facets of the passing game. And what do you think we'll see Malone go when his name's called? 
I think late second to early third. I really do think that he opens some eyes at the combine. Uh, something that limits him is that, you know, while I say that he plays smaller than you would actually think, but also is kind of a weakness. He, he's not that strong, and I do think that he could be press covered. And against the better talents, the Texas A&M, the Alabamas, he kind of disappeared. He had some, he had good games. He had five mm-hmm. catches, four catches here, but didn't have touchdown passes and things like that. I think in good defense, and I think, you know, in, People recognize him, and they put someone on there that can press him at the line. It's going to be hard for him to get off the line, but I do really think he's someone that can make a difference. If he gets in the right offensive scheme, especially with the quarterback whose arm can stretch the field, you know, for instance, somebody like you know a Matt Stafford or a Joe Flacco, um, I do think that that is um, a definite benefit to them, and I really think that he can make a difference. As far as the Titans go, with our two third-round picks, I would focus on him. I think he's an underrated guy that could really help Mariota out by stretching the defense. Mariota, I believe, was the most was the most improved deep ball passer, and of course, you know, most of it, you know, went to Rashad. But with Malone on the outside being able to stretch that defense, and that can open up the short passing game for Delaney. It can open up some more running lanes for Derek and um, uh, Demarco. I think that um, Malone is a guy that a lot of teams are going to focus on as that number two receiver that really can stretch the field and bring a whole new element to the game. All right, now we're going to talk about the guy that uh, has been making a lot of waves uh, the last couple of days in the combine. Josh Dobbs, the quarterback coming out of Tennessee, had a very excellent workout. I watched all of his workout, actually, uh, in the combine. was making every throw where it needed to be. Really looked impressive. I think he turned a lot of heads in this, in this draft. Before, a lot of people had him rated rather low. It really isn't that strong of a quarterback class for as deep as a class it is. It seems like the one weakness. So where do you right now think that Dobbs deserves to be ranked among these quarterbacks? Bottom half of the t- of the top ten. Um, I am a fan of Josh Dobbs. Um, it, it, he, he's gotten a lot of unfair scrutiny during his time, you know, being Butch Jones as quarterback. Um, and he has everything that you want. I, I, he's the type of guy that you draft for his off-the-field acumen just as much as his on-the-field. I mean, the man is intelligent. Aerospace engineering was his major. I mean, he's going to make a lot of money regardless if it's NFL or off the field. But the thing is, is that for an athlete, I think that he compares to anyone in this class when it comes to running. Um, the guy took over games with his running ability. Um, I do think also that physically he's a bigger than a lot of people think. Needs to add some muscle. He's still lean and, and awkward at times. But I do not have a lot of faith in Dobbs' ability to throw. And the reason why I say that is because of the fact that one thing that really, really hurt Tennessee, even though we had hurt in Kamara, is that teams would eventually figure out that if you made Dobbs consistently have to make throws 10 to 15 yards down the field, he was not going to be able to do it. He threw the ball 104 times last year, 10 yards or more downfield. Nine of those were intercepted. And if it were for the play of Jennings and Malone and a lot of other throws, that easily could have been 15. That's my that's my concern with Dobbs. It is his, his indecisiveness when it comes to being able to make throws. A lot of that comes from footwork, whether it be throwing the ball. You wouldn't think it would be an issue with him as, with as athletic as he is. But whether it be throwing the ball or whether it be setting his feet to try to pass downfield, he can get some velocity behind his throws, but the accuracy of it is just not there. I do not have a lot of faith in Dobbs' arm talent. Everything else I love. I just don't have a lot of faith in his arm talent, and I do believe that's his downfall, and I think that's why he's in the bottom half of my top ten and why I think he may be a backup at best in the NFL. 
speaking, uh, you know, talking about this draft class and, and Josh Dobbs, he did perform really well. And, and like as you said, you think he's you know a backup level talent. Uh, where do you see the guys at the top of this list? Do you think there's anybody in this list that's going to be a, you know a, a true top ten quarterback in the league one day? It, it's hard. It's it, it's hard to tell because you just it, it's there's a lot to, there's a lot missing to trust. Either you have a guy like Dobbs who's a four year starter, three and a half year starter who just remained inconsistent and just is so frustrating. Um, you have a guy like Deshaun Kaiser. Um, who, to me, is the most physically gifted quarterback. He has the most things you can't teach of any quarterback prospect in this draft. Um, you got Mitch Trubisky. He seems to be the most technically sound guy in terms of his ability to throw and things such as that, but he's a one-year starter. Why was he not able to beat the guy before him in the first two years that he was there? I think that is a big question mark. And then, of course, you got um, Deshaun Watson. I think Watson to me, has the best makeup. I think that the team that picks him is going to be very happy, and I think that he could have an NFL career. He's a winning quarterback. But he also doesn't have as much arm talent as Jameis and still had the interception bug. So in my opinion, no. I do not think that there is a good chance that any quarterback in this draft class will be a top-ten quarterback eventually. I think you do have some folks in a Watson or a um, a, a Kaiser, a Trubisky, who I do think could – not necessarily be game managers. They may be able to win a game or two on their end, but I don't think that you're going to get a consistent enough performer out of this draft class for you to look back and say, wow, we really got it wrong with this guy. One guy that I do think could make a big way, because I think that he has a lot of physical skills and he does have a cannon of an arm, is Pat Mahomes out of um, Texas Tech. I do think that he is someone that you could watch out for. A lot of folks don't like him because he operates out of structure and he may not be the most coachable guy based off his playing style. But we know that that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there have been a lot of quarterbacks in the past who have eventually become very good quarterbacks due to simply have an arm talent. But if I had to put my money on someone, my rankings, I have Kaiser first. I love Kaiser's physical makeup. If he could ever get the mental aspect of it to where he can know for sure when to release the ball to make it accurate, I really do think that he could be a top 10 quarterback. But I've got – my, my, my rankings, I have Kaiser, I have Watson, I have Trubisky, and then I have Mahomes. That's my opinion of the, the, of the quarterback rankings. But if, you, um, had, if I had to make a guarantee that any one of them would eventually be a top 10 quarterback, I would be more willing to bet against that than I would to bet for it. I, I'm in pretty much the same opinion of that group. It's, it's, this is not a great year for a quarterback which is why so many defensive players are you know, dominating the top of it. It's why pass rusher becomes so much more important because you're not going to get that game changer of quarterback. And then there could definitely be a guy or two in here that you could win a Super Bowl with as long as he wasn't the reason why you were winning it. But uh, I, I think Deshaun Watson, like you said, is probably your best bet of all-around ability and w- without as much of the downside. But every, every guy on that list, He's got a really good aspect and a really big question. Can he do this? Can he do that? Why wasn't he able to do this or that? So th- th- I have more doubt about this uh, quarterback class than I even did the one last year, and I didn't like that one either. I, I think the Titans got got in on that last couple of really good quarterbacks for a while, and we're, I don't know when we're going to see another couple of quarterbacks come out like you did you know, when we took Mariota. So – you know, it's a good year for Cleveland to have that first draft pick, and it helps us that you know teams are still trying to search and find that special quarterback whenever we've got ours. 
and agree completely. I mean, if you if you want to know the quarterback that was great and the most buzz, it was Sam Donald, who's going to come out next year at USC. That tells you right there just what, where the quarterback class is this year. But you know, if I had to, if we're, we're talking about Dobbs, if I had to compare someone to Dobbs, I think Dobbs, if he accepts who he is and works hard at his craft, I think, for instance, you can have a lot of good backup quarterbacks out of this. I mean, heck, talking about a Tennessee guy, Nathan Peterman out of Pittsburgh, he beat Clemson and beat Penn State this year. He's projected to be a second-round quarterback. I can tell you from watching the guy at Tennessee, I didn't think this guy was going to be anywhere close to sniffing the combine two years ago. I think that it speaks more to the lack of talent in this QB class, the lack of certainty that he's ranked that high. But that just goes to show, you know, everybody's trying to find the next Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was he was a great talent in college. Nobody thought that he was going to have this quick. They thought that his learning curve was going to be something that was going to take three or four years. Dak got the fundamentals down. He made good throws, limited mistakes, had very good decision-making. I don't see there being a lot of good decision-making out of this quarterback class. So many of them have have questions about their decision-making, and that's what leads me back to Dobbs. As smart as he is, there was always just something missing. That he, he would sit there and lead us on a drive and just do excellent, and then the next drive just makes a, a very, very poor throw. The South Carolina game, the Georgia game, where he threw the interception you know, on their end of the field. There were just so many frustrating plays. I think that if you know Dobbs reaches his max, I can see him having a Seneca Wallace type career. A guy that still is going to make a difference with his as athleticism. He could probably win you a game or two a year if your starter gets injured, based on his athleticism alone. But I don't ever think that he's going to be in a position to where he'll lead a franchise to success. All right, we, you talked about you know being ranked, Dobbs being ranked in the second half of the top ten of this quarterback list. What do you think that has him drafted then? I do think that Dobbs gets drafted. Um, I think that he's going to be uh, a six-round pick. Um, I, I think that he will be in the range of where we drafted Mettenberger a few years ago. Um, and I do think that the reason why a lot of teams are going to draft him is because of the fact of his locker room presence. You want a guy who's dedicated. You want a guy who's smart. You want a guy who legitimately can make a difference on the sideline with his IQ. You're going to get that in Dobbs. And he's a project to work with. He's got a lot of intriguing things about him. And there, it, something may light up in his mind from the right coaching technique, and he may surprise people. I've seen a few places where they said that they think that he could be the Dak Prescott of this year. I don't see it. I don't think that he has that type of physical ability throwing the ball. But I do think that he gets drafted simply based off the value that he can bring, not only as a potential project, but also what he can bring off the field. That You're not going to find – a, a more a, a better young man in terms of the type of person that he is, the type of dedication that he has to his craft, and also the effort that he's going to give to get better. And I do think that a lot of teams will find value in that once they interview him. So I think he's a sixth round, sixth to seventh round pick this year. All right, I think that's all we have. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Sean. Glad to have you on here, and you provided us a lot of insight into this draft class coming out of Tennessee. Appreciate it. All right, thank you again. It was a pleasure having you on. All right, y'all have a great day. Thanks, Sean. You too. Another big thanks to Sean Coleman for coming on the show with us. Uh, Provided a lot of insight, a lot of knowledge to some of these players coming out of the draft for the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, That's all we have for the show this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Sean again. Thanks to my awesome co-hosts, Matt and Glenn. Again, we say it every week, check out Hang10. That's hangtn.com. Best Titans apparel that money can buy, I promise you that. Uh, they've sent me and Glenn and Matt some, some great stuff, some really cool stuff. Um, and I swear by them. All their stuff, really high-quality stuff, really 
cool designs, stuff that you can't find anywhere else. But that's all we have for this week. We'll be back next week with some more stuff leading into this draft, which I know you're all excited for. I'm excited for. I know Matt and Glenn are excited for. Thanks again for listening to the show. And as always, tighten up. Tighten up. Podbean. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.